once again. This is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala, joined, as always, by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the chair of BLM Tokyo and a hip-hop artist extraordinaire. What's going on, Jay? Oh, man, just uh, first week, uh, not first week, first morning since, uh, well, no, first morning back, because I was out of town, because uh, remember my mother and sister came into town, so we did a little bit of traveling, so first back, first night back home. <laughs> Okay, nice. Now, did they join you for your seminar that you gave in Tokyo? Yes. Well, no. Um, actually, I had I had hooked up two seminars. So one was my mother on Saturday, and then on Sunday was one that I did. And they left Sunday morning, and I did mine Sunday evening. Ah, okay. But they were both in Tokyo then. Yeah. They well, they were both in Tokyo. Um, we were there for a couple of days and then we did the seminar uh and then they left out the next morning and then that night that they left i did mine okay okay they weren't at mine i was at the one the first one right right yeah so yeah. busy few days i guess yeah but it was good it was it was really good there was good engagement um people were really into it so like my mother's talk was on uh genealogy uh pertaining to people doing their own research on their own families but also through the lens of the research she's doing with the university of virginia mm -hmm. uh, and the stuff she's done with the international african-american history museum that recently opened um so yeah there was good discussion there there were people were asking questions getting you know some good uh, banter going on and then the next night i did mine on just some basics some very basics of stock investing and um investing for the future for a retirement account so yeah okay now those sound like some great events my question is how are they promoted especially your mom's event i mean obviously she's in the u.s she comes to japan for this event how were you able to get people interested in tokyo to see your mom well it was social media actually so it wasn't a lot of uh, promotion. It wasn't a massive space. And uh, we just started doing it on there are some uh, it was with Legacy Foundation, which is a group out here that came together. Some uh, people in the black community out here had put together this foundation to promote education and opportunities and not just for black folks, but also for for foreigners as well or anybody really. And um, so me posting on social media them posting on social media so the instagram whatnot and then there are different facebook groups for people that are out here for expats um out in japan for uh black expats in japan um since it was a genealogy event event covering african-american history so some of those groups targeting some of those groups helped so yeah it was it came out pretty good so it's a full house for the for the space and uh yeah that's what's up. Now, were some of the same people at both events? Was it the same venue? Uh, it, was, it was same building, same group, but not the exact same venue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the, there were a couple people, there was some overlap between the, the groups. Um, and I was kind of surprised. Like, first of all, I probably went a little bit longer than I expected to, but I was taking questions in between. So that usually tends to make things much longer instead of doing a presentation and doing afterwards. But it was a casual vibe. So when people had questions in the moment. And at first I was thinking, I wonder if some of this is too basic, because I did start off with the very first thing was decide to define what a stock is and then what a share is. And I thought, you know, I was like, okay, maybe this is a little basic, but I'm going to put it in here. But right from the back, right off the, the, the top, it was just like, oh, excuse me, can what's the difference between a stock and a share, you know? So, mm. 
so yeah it came out good it was it was nice they actually would like to do it do it again and uh maybe even some more like it so might be something in the okay. future okay so the focus mostly on the markets in the u.s or japan or is it more universal or basic it was it was basic it was about some key terms it was some key points to look at when looking at a, a stock chart like when you put in a ticker symbol and you see all the uh, different uh details and some of the some of the basic terms not not the more advanced stuff um it was covering various platforms that people could use some of the traditional ones and some of the app platforms that are out now robin and, right? yeah robin hood weeble m1 finance just to, to let people know that these things are out here and some of the differences between the two um and then it covered uh went into retirement accounts so traditional versus Roth IRA and then a strategy that is commonly recommended whereas you invest in an S&P 500 index right. fund within a Roth IRA right and end up with tax-free money when you're ready to pull it out at the end so something very basic something that very people can anyone can do and you don't really have to think about because once you do that type of strategy it's just like set it and forget it you don't care about the price you just keep buying in no matter what and that applies to Japan as well as the U.S. right well yeah because anybody can buy S&P 500 yeah. stock as long as you're trading stocks anyone anywhere can buy into it so um the the difference would be is the Roth IRA whereas the money that you use to fund it is if I'm not mistaken, you need to have it from uh, an income source in the U.S. Mm. to be able to fund it because it's a it's kind of a tax shelter account from the government tax exempt status um, for that account, whatever grows in there. So for that specific part, you need income in the U.S. unless I'm mistaken, someone can correct me. Um, but to, to invest in the S&P 500 and get right. the same return. You can do that in any sort of account. The only difference is you will have to pay the tax when you sell it later on. And right. that usually generally would be around 15%. And did you get into the differences between income tax and capital gains, depending on how long you hold stocks? Yeah. Yeah. So made sure to, to let people know, like, yeah, if you buy the stock now and then you buy it, you sell it tomorrow or in a couple of months, you're going to be you're going to be taxed at your regular income tax rate. If you hold it longer than a year, you'd be taxed at the capital gains rate, which is 15%, which is why people like Warren Buffett are like, yeah, I pay less taxes than my employees do. So Right. And it's crazy, you know, just this idea that if you have a certain amount of money, and it doesn't take a hell of a lot, but when you reach a certain amount of savings, you could put a good chunk of it into CDs and savings accounts. And even if you're getting 5% interest or around there, you could live off of that and you know it's enough to cover your expenses without even having to work it's just reaching a certain level of money saved up means you really never have to work again which is kind of a crazy concept right yeah and it's you know it it is really crazy and that's you know that kind of shows how the the rich stay rich um you know it is it is a a big hill to climb to get to that point yeah um, it is, right it, it is certainly but it isn't like you need millions either I mean, you know, right. with a good six-figure nest egg saved up, you could be making a, a ton of interest. Right. And so, you know, if you're looking at, so the S&P 500 over time, since they've been tracking it from the beginning, has returned uh, a 7% return uh, on average every year over over time. So that doesn't mean that every year it's 7%. Right. It means like when you average it out over the long term, it has been. So 
if you're in that, which is kind of kind of almost as steady as it gets, um, then yeah, you can you can look at that and be like, okay, how much do I need at seven percent return to actually kind of live off of or or significantly supplement my income? Right, right. And and there are this year I've seen them regular right. accounts that are guaranteeing five percent interest. Right, and that was another thing. Is like we're we're always taught is to put our money in a savings account and i mean it's good to save however we've got right now the average savings rate or interest account interest and savings in the united states is about 0.56 percent right and so you're getting nothing off that and then if inflation is going up two to three percent every year you're still going to be losing value on your money even if you're getting that 0.5 percent yeah. So you have to look at some of these high interest. And luckily right now, there are a few high interest savings account that are giving four to five percent like um, uh, Apple this year started a savings account and they're giving four point one five percent interest. And so plus they're doing cash back on any purchases through it because it's it's a mix of a, a credit card and, and savings. So something like that is is very good to get into and then you're not losing value on your money you're actually gaining with the interest at the same time i mean let's take a, a quick look at this like let's say you have four hundred thousand. you know five percent is twenty thousand dollars in a year right. you guarantee by that account i mean so significant it's it's very significant i mean maybe you can't pay all your bills on that but you know it certainly takes a lot of pressure off of you yeah, I mean, especially if you are retired, your your work options are limited. Um, you've got a small Social Security check coming in. Um, you know, you may not need to work, or you may only need a a part time or or something. You know, if if you're there, so it's you know, it's kind of one of the best we can do at this point. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was more more about getting that idea out there, letting the people know sharing some of that information so that they can uh, start to look into it, right? Know where to look, know what to look and what to ask and whatnot. So, yeah, I think it came out a scary thing for people who aren't familiar with it. You know, they, it is. OK, I've heard about this my whole life. I kind of would like to know more, maybe get involved, but I'm nervous, right? Because I know it's a risky thing. People know that at least, right? That it's not a guarantee. And so they're afraid to think, OK, you know, I'm like, losing my money. What's going to happen? I'm not sure. I, I listen, I, I just like I told them, I said, for me personally, I said for as far as jumping into the S&P and doing the IRA, it probably took me about three years to make a move on it once I started to like, because, you know, I, there's a post even on my Facebook where it was an article when they were talking to Warren Buffett and he was talking about, yeah, best thing you can do, low cost S&P 500 index fund and just let it grow, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about that thing. And I posted on my Facebook, I'm like, I don't know what this S&P 500 index fund is, but I'm about to find out. And even from then, it took like about two years before I actually jumped in and, and you know, pulled the cord. Yeah. And, that, and when you're talking compound interest over time, two years can make a significant difference in money. Right. Right. Absolutely. So you've been successful, you would say, at that? Um, I've been able to keep up my my regular um, contributions to it. And so, you know, um, I'm, I'm, you know, making that a goal every year to make sure I at least put that away. You know? Right. Right. Um, All right. Well, I actually wanted to get something. Hold on one second. I got to grab something as a, as a visual aid for this one. Uh oh. Uh oh. What are we doing? 
What are you doing? Is this like is this like a rap battle where like you brought like props and and everything, and you're gonna be like start dropping bars and use uh, examples and such? Yes, that's exactly what this is. I am Mike Scala, the man with the big stick. This is the actual stick from the Queensland Growly. <laughs> Put it in the bag, so I wanted to showcase it for those watching the video. Yes, yeah, you have turned it. You have turned your phrase into into visual aids. <laughs> yes. So this stick actually comes from Charles Park. The funny thing is, my dog is happy I located the stick <laughs> because I went to the supermarket, right? The stop and shop in Howard Beach the day before the rally we did at City Hall for the Queens Lane. And I went there to pick up my carrot because that was going to be my visual aid, right? The carrot in one hand, the stick in the other. Because we've talked about that extensively, right? The difference between the carrot and the stick. Congestion pricing is one example, but really, generally speaking, the high cost of getting around the city and why it always feels like we're being hit with these punitive measures. We're being attacked, being punished, as opposed to being incentivized to do something better. In other words, it seems, and this is not a conspiracy theory, you know, it seems that really that it is true that there is a big effort to get people out of their cars. Um, there is a, a positive in that as well. Certainly, we need to reduce vehicular emissions. So we need to reduce traffic. And then for people who do have to drive, you know, at least they won't be sitting in traffic as much and polluting as much because more people will be off the road. And this is New York City. Our mass transit system will be working better. I mean, that is the idea here. But we can't rely solely on the the punitive, right? I said our mass transit system would be working better. I think that's the part that people seem to forget in this whole conversation. They right. just about we're going to hit you with the fines and the tickets and everything else. All right, but what is the alternative? What is the attractive alternative? So the stick represents punishment. The carrot would represent the positive, the attractive alternative, right? It's the positive incentive, such as the Queen's Link. And so I thought that it was a very opportune time to talk about that because we were there rallying for the Queen's Link. And so we got the stick, we're tired of the stick, we're tired of being sticked, right? Where's our carrot? And as I was mentioning, I went to the supermarket to, to get the carrot. And then I was like, all right, while I'm here, is there something I can buy that I could use for the stick, right? And there really wasn't anything that I found in the store that would have worked except for a dog treat. It was a long dog treat that was shaped like a stick. So I said, all right, while I'm here, I'll pick it up, but then I'm gonna go to the park and see if I can find an actual stick that I could use. So luckily, as soon as I got to the park, I didn't even have to walk around. I just parked right in front of the park and picked this thing up right, right there. It was waiting for you. It was waiting for me. It was like divine intervention, here's your stick. And so having found these, the actual stick at Charles Park in Howard Beach, I no longer needed the dog treat stick. And so I gave the dog treat to my dog. And therefore, my dog is very happy that I found the stick in the park. Hey, so what was like you said you had the rally. So what was the the general vibe, like the reaction, like were people more in supportive support of, of you know, the rally and what and the Queens link and what you guys were out there to do? Oh, absolutely. I would say everyone was very supportive. Of course, many people came to support the rally because right. like you promoted your events on social media, we had the social media blasts, we were hyping it up for a while. And so there were transit advocates. I actually met this woman who said she lived on the west side of Manhattan. She's more of an environmental advocate, but her son goes to Boston College and studying engineering. And she said her son is very much into transit projects around the country and took notice of ours. And mm. he told her, mom, you should go to some of these transit rallies that are out there. I know you're big on the environmental stuff, but obviously 
being pro-transit is also being pro-environment. Like, as we said, get more right. people in mass transit, fewer people have to drive. So she came and she said she was really glad that she came. It was really awesome to get involved in this transit thing. So you had all different types of people coming by. We also had elected officials who were there to join us for the first time. Obviously, we've been doing events. We've had our reliable supporters, particularly those in the south portion of Queens, where this issue is most important and hits people most direct. So Senator Sanders, you know, shout out to him. Borough President Donovan Richards, who was previously the city council member for that area in the Rockaways, he had a rep there. And Khalil Anderson, we've known for a long time now in the assembly, right? He was there to give a great speech. But we also had reps who were now taking note of this issue who, who didn't necessarily before. Jumani Williams, a public advocate of New York City, he had sent a deputy public advocate to our events and we were so grateful for that. But there was a video I posted from our town hall in Ozone Park that we did earlier this year where the deputy public advocate asked, is there anything we can do to be helpful? And I said, yes, keep doing what you're doing in terms of advocacy, but we would love to see the public advocate himself come in and stand for this. And so we got that for the first time in person, Jumani Williams himself there, as well as another assembly member, uh, probably butcher the name, but Zoran, I believe his name is, from more northern Queens, a little outside of our district, or his district is a little outside of, of the right of way for the Rockaway Beach line, but that's okay because we need all hands on deck. We need all state lawmakers, all city lawmakers, every policymaker coming together and saying, this is not about the Rockaways only. This is not about any one part of Queens. This is about New York City. This is about our entire region, right? We had advocacy groups, someone from the tri-state uh, transit campaign, I think it's called. So tri-state, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Again, it's about the larger region, right? And that's really what this is about. The Queens Link is so named. It used to be the Queens Rail, but uh, for years it was only referred to as the Rockway Beach Line because that was the branch of the Long Island Railroad, right, that we were trying to reactivate. But there was a little bit of pushback, in my experience, from people outside the Rockaways who didn't understand how this right. affected anyone else but the Rockaways. And they were right. like, yeah, that's great, but this is not our issue. You know, to get something like this done, this is a massive infrastructure project. It takes buy-in from more than the Rockaways, right? It takes the city, it takes the state, it might take some federal governmental support. And so it was rebranded, you know, the Queens Rail, the Queens Link, to kind of get that point across that it's not a very localized issue. This affects everyone. And it really is that missing link to connect Queens to the rest of the city, which creates economic growth and opportunity, not just for the people of South Queens, but for everyone. It just makes sense for us to do to get our city into the 21st century. Excellent, that sounds good. Now you did post some videos um, and there seems to have been some controversy at the spot. Yeah, yeah. So there were hecklers and, you know, I struggle with this because you don't want to give the spotlight to Let's don't Don't name them. Don't right, name them. Right. We're not going to give names, but, uh, you know, it has been brought up and I've been transparent about it. We live streamed the video on my page. I wasn't the only one. The Queens link did it on its Instagram page. I saw assembly member Khalil Anderson did the same on his Facebook page. So people have seen the video of, of hecklers and, you know, it, it is what it is. They were not there to heckle the Queens link, believe it or not. These folks, and it seems to be the same group, they show up to rallies and it seems like there's been a lot of rallies at that location. It's a city hall park right in front of city hall. So, you know, obviously a very symbolic place to, to do a rally. Almost every right. day you see something going on there. I've looked on Twitter and I've seen in the past week, multiple events, but the same group was at that same location doing that same thing. And again, they're not necessarily 
protesting the event or the message of that event. They're there to get their own message across and sometimes heckle the people who are at that event who were in support of things that they were against. Congestion pricing is a big one, but it wasn't just that. You know, it was the migrant crisis, which we'll talk about. There was one one guy there who's, you know, he's a Republican and he's trying to make his name, I guess, in Republican politics. And so he was yelling at some of these politicians saying, you know, we won't stand for Creedmoor and migrants, this and that. So obviously the event had nothing to do with any of that. But being that the public advocate of New York City and other folks who are prominent were there, a lot of press was there. You had Pix 11, you had Channel 7 News, Fox 5 News, New York One, and, you know, a lot of journalists taking pictures and with their cameras out. So I think they saw it and they see these major events as opportunities to essentially steal press, right, to get on camera. And I thought what was going to happen was the headlines were going to be, you know, rally about the train derailed. I was thinking they're going to use the word derailed by the hecklers, right? But to the media's credit, I didn't see one story about Mm. that. They just didn't give them any shine. And then I realized this wasn't an isolated event. They've been doing this. And we weren't the first ones either. They've been, you know, even before they've been doing Mm. that. And so, you know, obviously the media is not about to make these three or four guys the the subject of every single story about every event that happens in the city, but they're trying to get in front of all the cameras. So, you know, at a certain point, it's just like, all right, we've heard the shtick, but we're not going to cover you every time. And I'm glad that, our coverage on a rally didn't mention, as far as I saw, it didn't mention them at all. That's good. That's good. Um, I mean, and and not not to say that whatever they were uh, protesting against wasn't valid, but um, you don't want that shine to be taken away because you're trying to raise awareness for this issue here at the same time, and you want to make sure that you know you get that heard as well. Right. Right. And you know what? There are other ways to do it. I don't agree with that method of essentially stealing press you know if they have an issue that they're passionate about and they're obviously very passionate people they should do their own rallies do their own events invite the media to their thing right don't try to steal everyone else's thunder which is what they're doing you know the flip side to that is we're out in public and we're doing an event and these are public officials who are there and you know what to a certain degree you sign up for that when you put yourself in a public sphere and when you become a public official, right, it's just the same reason why it's harder to successfully sue for defamation if you're a public figure, because you're kind of signing up for criticism. You're signing up for that. You're, you're saying, I'm going to take a stand on an issue. Why is it called an issue? Because it's controversial with at least some people. Some people are going to push back against that. And that's what democracy is. Right. And so, believe it or not, I don't want to entirely discredit the notion of, of a heckler or, or a dissenter. Right. That's part right. of our democratic process. And I think that's beautiful. But there are also lies. Right. You know, if someone would have stood up and, and yelled at, let's say, Jamani Williams, oh, you support the migrants. All right. Fair enough. But then shut up. Don't try to take over the whole event. And, and I think right. that's what you saw. And not only that, but Again, we've mentioned the difference between giving in a passion speech and incitement, right? It starts to cross the line uh, over what the protections are under the First Amendment. At a certain point, if you're inciting violence, now you're not engaging in constitutionally protected speech. And it does, I think, get to that point when you start yelling in a crowd for a prolonged period of time, calling people racist and, you know, saying you hate Queens, you declared war on Queens and, and you're interrupting an event. You're not letting the event continue. At a certain point, it's going to cross the line into incitement and not be protected. In other words, at a certain point, a fight is going to break out a riot or some kind of violence would be expected to occur 
the longer you provoke people that way, right? Because right, tensions keep going. Yeah, and, and, and you know what you're doing. You're escalating the tensions. I mean, yeah. and, and that's why I think that it, it certainly crossed the line into being inappropriate. You know, right. again, if it would have been like, you know, hey, you're a public official and you stood for this thing I don't like, fine, we're out in public. You have a right to say that. But, you know, don't try to start a fight. It, it really was, was on that line of taking over the entire event and starting a fight. Um, a cop, I think I sent you a video, a cop actually stepped in at a certain point when one of the hecklers called uh, a city council member of Southern Brooks Powers a racist and said she's the most racist person I've seen in my life and she hates right. black people, uh, you know, and she happens to be black herself. It was a Republican guy saying that really trying to be a smart ass, I think. Um, right. So, like I, I think that the, the major gripe was with congestion pricing again and saying this is right. going to make it harder for poor people to drive into the city. Why do you hate black people? This guy wasn't black. He was a white guy just trying to to, to say she's a hypocrite or, you know, just trying to be a, a dick, basically. Right. That's where it, it get, it, I think it gets really inappropriate. And, and right. a cop did step in. I think, and I think rightfully so, because at a certain point it, it is going to lead to, I think, you know, something more than just words. It's like, you know, you're you're provoking a violent response from people. Right. And I do remember, though, um, I think in, I think I saw a couple of videos um, and I do remember one where I think it might have been that guy where he did say, like, um, he was he was in support of the Queens link, but it was it was, um, you know, he was against congestion pricing and he went on yeah. about the thing because I think that someone was, that, was him, like, about, yeah, that was one of certainly one of them. He kept yeah. saying the link is fine. The link is fine. And then right. Jumani Williams said, everyone heard that the link is fine. So we have to. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're, you're trying to derail an event and you know, a cause that you're in, actually in favor of, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. It's time and a place for everything, buddy. Like this wasn't it. Right. So, 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 but at least, it, at least, it sounds like the the event was successful. Um, absolutely, got some good coverage out got of some it. Good so, coverage, you know. Um, one more point on that, though. When this guy started, of course, it kind of took us all by surprise. Well, almost all of us by surprise. There were some people who were expecting it actually, because mm -hmm. apparently they've been following Jumadi Williams around, doing it to him. Right. And so some people said, "Okay, it's it's going to happen. We're ready for it. We, we should be ready for it." But the guys who were doing it, they were there the entire time. So it wasn't like they just showed up when Jumani started speaking or at a certain point. They were there from before we began the event and they were acting like they were just casual all of them. They just happened to be here. Oh, what is this about? Oh, cool. Taking the brochures, talking to us. Now, apparently they were asking questions to the Queenslink organizers. I have to give a shout out to everyone on the Queenslink team who helped put this together because they did a phenomenal job. They were asking them questions like, so what is your stance on congestion pricing? They were trying to get a sense of whether basically the Queens link was their enemy or not. Right. Right. And, right. And they would say, no, listen, this has nothing to do with that. And I think some people might be in favor of it, some against, but it has nothing to do with this particular project. And I think the official response was, listen, we know it's an inevitability. And so while we're going to get it, we were pushing for that attractive alternative. We want that mass transit plan that's going to help people from South right. Queens get to the city and vice versa, because we know it's coming. We know it's going to be harder. It is harder. And as time right. goes on, it continues to be harder to drive in terms of the cost and the traffic and everything else. So while we're getting that, we need to be pushing for this attractive mass transit link. So that was a great response, but they were really trying to get a sense of, you know, because the new Jumani was going to be there, or are we just going to be doing this congestion pricing stuff? And we tried to, to you know, get them, get them off of that. But, but you know, they, like I said, they were there acting like they're, they're just kind of innocent onlookers. And 
when Jumadi Williams began the speech. In fact, you can look on my stories right now. I've got it on Instagram and Facebook. You can see every day I'm posting up a clip, kind of a highlight from the event. Currently, I've got the beginning of Jumadi Williams' speech. He isn't being interrupted then. They didn't interrupt him as soon as he began. They waited for him to actually mention congestion pricing. He just kind of mentioned it in passing. And then they started screaming, you supported that. You declared war on Queens. You declared war on drivers. And it escalated from there. But when it first started, when the outburst first started, I was taken aback. And you know, I had just introduced Jumani. So let's give him a, a welcome. He's a citywide public official standing with us. You know, we're honored to have him. And however you feel about his politics and his policies, again, it's great that we had so many people in the city, especially someone with that kind of influence to support this plan. And that's really what it's all about. I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a progressive, a conservative, moderate, whatever you happen to be, whatever your politics are outside of this, I want you to stand with us on the Queen's Link to show that we've got a broad coalition of support from across the political spectrum. Transit unites people. As one of the articles put it, transit makes strange bedfellows. That's great. We need everyone on board with this, no pun intended. So I was happy he was there to say, yes, I support the Queen's Link. We want the Queen's Link. He's a citywide official. Again, in spite of what right. you think of him, his stances on other things, when it comes to this, he's standing with us and we are grateful. And so when the outburst first started, I, I guess instinctively took a step forward to try to get in between them because I was like, what is going on? Why are they interrupting him? This is not right. And he turned to me, and you can see it on the video. Uh, I'm not on the clip that's on my, on my page now, but on the live stream, you can see it on Khalil's live stream, if you watch the whole thing, you can see he turned to me. And what he said to me was, just let them go. They're not going to stop because he was used to it. You know, it seems like every time he gives a speech, I guess, especially there, <laughs> these same people are there to, to heckle him and get in his face. So he told right. me, let them go. And, and in fact, one of them even yells, that's right, we're not going to stop, you know, and they, they keep getting getting on them. But basically, he told me to stand back, you know, let them do. And then he tried doing that mic check thing, which you would see, remember at Occupy Wall Street? It was like, Mike, right, right. Yeah. He, he, he did that thing to try to get it across. But you know, I guess he's used to it by now. But for some of yeah. us, like, what the hell's going on here? This, is, this isn't that cool. I guess, I mean, I mean, we've talked about it here a couple of times, the congestion pricing and how um, unpopular it is, how punitive it can be on, on everyday people. So, I, I mean, you can understand how tensions um, and emotions will run high on it. And so it sounds like he's you know, been meeting that um, everywhere he's gone. And if he was for it, I guess he's going to have to kind of expect people to be pushing back. So but at least, uh, you know, you guys got the event off and. Uh, you know, media didn't focus on that and they focused more on the issue that you were there to do. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. And there is more follow up coming out of it. In fact, tomorrow I was supposed to do a podcast interview and I don't want to say the name yet, but on a pretty prominent podcast that covers New York City issues. Nice. Um, it did. Thankfully for me, it's being pushed back till next week. And I'm, I'm glad because I've got a court filing due, due this week and so much hoopla has been happening over the Queenslink and other stuff that you know, I was getting a little stressed out how I can get all my stuff done. But luckily that got pushed back. So tomorrow I can focus exclusively on my work for, for the court case. Um, but yeah, you know, a, a lot of uh, media attention, which is what we wanted, right? That's why you do a rally. That's why you do a press conference. You want to keep putting that public pressure on and getting more attention on the issue. Absolutely. Well, there's a lot going on this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, you want to get into you want to get into the 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 poll or you want to get into uh the stuff that the mayor's facing let's uh let's do the poll and then we'll, right. we'll talk about the migrant issue and the battle lines that are being drawn right well we had a poll last week um and that was talking about the 
uh, the law that went into effect last week, the local local law 18, that was uh, aimed at short-term rentals like a Airbnb. And so our poll was, do you believe short-term rental rentals such as Airbnb should be illegal? Mm. And we both predicted that most people would say, um, would disagree that it should be illegal. Um, and I was actually surprised with the results. Really? So you have people saying that it should be illegal than you thought. Well, we got it was actually a pretty significant poll. Uh, a lot of people chimed in. There was a lot. There was over 200 votes. Um, and 48 percent said, yes, it should be illegal. Fifty two percent said, no, it shouldn't be illegal. Wow. And in the comments we got on on YouTube, we're also in the yes column that it should be illegal. That it should be illegal. Wow. So yeah. I was very surprised. Yeah, that surprises me a lot, too, because I expected people to say, OK, maybe it should be more regulated or cracked down on a little bit. But to just say categorically, basically, Airbnb should be illegal. I didn't expect that, given how prominent it is in our culture now. Like I was right. saying, you know, if I propose to go on a trip with some friends, someone's going to bring up, why don't we Airbnb? Right. People don't usually say they should all be illegal in, in these social circles that I'm involved in. You know what I mean? Like it's not, and I understand that argument is out there, but right. it's just like culturally so big that I don't, I don't really hear that being talked about so much. Well, to, to, to clarify even more, um, remember the, the options that they had to choose from were yes and no. So they didn't have, as far as the options, they didn't have any other way. But in the discussion, some people did bring up these other things. Some people said, you know, the, the answers are too limited. Right. It's not a cut and white, cut and dry issue like that. Um, some people had, you know, clearly in the yes column, they brought up issues that, um, you know, like what it's causing doing to the rental market, um, talking about how corporations are coming in and buying up, you know, large swaths of different areas to use as as Airbnbs to kind of make their own hotels without having to go into hotels and under that regulation. Um, and how it's pricing people out of the market mm. and causing, um, you know, uh, issues as far as housing goes. So there was a pretty lively discussion. Um, some people were saying that they should have, you know, there should be more regulation instead of just outright making it illegal. Right. You know, some brought up, you know, if hotels are required to be regulated um, and, and have certain standards, then Airbnbs should, you know, have to come to the same thing. So. There was a lot of back and forth. People disagreed with, um, you know, I brought up that, you know, the fines could be imposed if you weren't registered. I brought up that, um, what was it? Uh, there was a stipulation that the Washington Post reported that all of the, I guess, all of the doors could, had to be remain, had to be unlocked so that occupants had access to all parts of the domicile. Right. And so people were like, that, you know, that doesn't sound right. Um you know, it doesn't happen in a, in a hotel. Um, right. But that's what makes it renting your entire premises as opposed to renting a small part of your right. premises, right? Like, that's the case even if you were to rent, not for a short term, but let's say you wanted to have a tenant in your house. So you own a house and you want to rent right. a part of your house. It would be illegal. It would be, it would be considered an illegal apartment to just rent, you know, uh, part of the house. 
But if it, if they had access to the whole house, it's different because now you're sharing the house with them. Right. So, um, yeah, like I said, question there was here's a, a response here that said it's a tricky problem airbnbs have ruined entire communities but at the same time should an owner be allowed to rent out their property on occasion for me the line should be that if the dwelling's main purpose is for short-term rental income it should have to comply with all local zoning laws for business um especially those that are owned by investment companies specifically for rental but then the question is how are regulations like that enforced so this person kind of put up maybe a, a middle ground right uh, on, on it so yeah it's it's so it is a highly contentious issue were there many comments saying basically hands off if someone owns the property they should be able to do whatever they want with it um you know i saw i saw i think i saw a couple but Largely, people were talking about how Airbnbs were making rental, uh, the rental sector unaffordable and making housing less available. Um, and how how companies basically small companies or corporations are taking advantage of Airbnb to, to do this type of thing. Right. I wonder so, if there's going to be a similar pushback when it comes to Uber. I saw a joke. I think it was. Bill Maher at one point saying the trend that he hates the most about our current society is everyone wants to be an amateur taxi driver. You know, like <laughs> he can't wait for that era, the era of Uber to go away. We get back to actual regular taxis again. I don't know if that's going to actually ever come, but I wonder if we're going to start seeing that pushback the same way we are now with Airbnb. Right. And, and one of the articles had speculated that, you know, once this goes into effect in New York, that there was the potential for other cities to to replicate something in this regard. And I guess some places already do. This was, you know, New York City is not the first to do this. But if that can, if that happens, then, you know, that that's going to be significant, a significant blow against Airbnb, the company for uh, against people that are our hosts and yeah. for consumers who are looking for a different choice when they go somewhere and want to stay. Sure. Although, as I said, I am a hotel guy. Put me in a hotel any day of the week. I don't need to Airbnb nothing. I don't bring an air mattress, air mattress, B&B, whatever. Like, I guess B&B is bed and breakfast. Is that what I'm supposed to say? I don't even know. Right, right. Bed and breakfast. Bed and breakfast. Um, I, don't, I don't need all that. Give me a hotel. I'm, I, I, like the, I like the option to be there. I, I do like the option. Um, so maybe there is there's got to be a middle ground maybe there's some way to to be in there and i also like the option for people to be able to use it to make an income for themselves you know um especially with the cost of everything being so high taking away this type of option from people right. is you know doesn't well, seem yeah like i mean and that's just my own personal preference when i travel yeah, yeah, right? sure, sure. my feelings are a little bit different when you start talking about policy and in particular right. Right. Someone owns a property. You know, I do have a bit of a hard time getting on board with telling them what they can and can't do with their property. I mean, obviously, right. limits, right? Like we just talked about, you know, you can show up as a heckler, but don't start a fight. Yeah, there are limits to everything. And then regulations, I think, are appropriate in, in many cases. But generally speaking, broadly speaking, you know, if you own a piece of property, who the hell is the government to say you can't rent right. it? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I look at what I look at both when I go somewhere, like I'll look at a hotel and I'll look at an Airbnb. Um, I do get the hotel thing because there's usually more certain amenities that are there that aren't in Airbnbs because like, you know, there might be a, a 
a rest- restaurant in the hotel um, that you can get something on there. There will be, I don't know, different amenities. Maybe there's a gym there. Maybe there's this and that. Whereas an Airbnb, you might not have it, but you might have a little bit more comfort. So I've looked at both. Yeah, uh, I've stayed, I've stayed in both. Um, one question, one comment, kind of uh, perplexed me a bit. One guy says, uh, "Guess this means no more hot bedding in New York." Yes, that's a real thing. Renting out part of your bed. Look it up. Hot bedding, huh? So I did look it up, and apparently this is something. <laughs> this is something no. that people are. Things have gotten so expensive in certain places um, where. People are renting out part of their bed in their in a room. Part of their bed. So you could show up and have like three other people renting the same bed. So, for example, I saw a video and this was actually about some students in Australia that were doing it. Um, this this girl was you know during the day she was um, working and going to school. And so during the day. She was renting out the apartment the bed for during the day and so she was running out to a truck driver who drove at night right and so during the day he would sleep and so he would come in and and sleep during the day and then he would go to work and then she would come home and then now she's got the apartment um and so she was doing this so that she could cover the rent and then she was just renting a room not even a whole apartment just renting a room and it was doing because the costs were so expensive Mm. so that's ridiculous well Thank you to everyone for tuning in in the chat. I see Cammy, Jose, James, Lixa is joining us. What's up, Lixa? Lixa says hot bedding. Uh, not a smiley face, but uh, one of these faces. Surprise face. Hey, Lixa. So James in the chat says, how was the rally? The rally was excellent. We've got clips. Again, I like putting those clips on my stories for people passing by. You know, every day there'll be a different clip, of a different highlight, and some of the more interesting comments that were made by our speakers. Mm. So I also I've been meaning to do this, by the way. I really have been meaning to set up a Mike Scholar YouTube channel because I've got so many of these videos now of these different events, and I've put them on stories and clips on you know, certain things or reels in different places on social media, but it would be nice to have a YouTube, uh, basically archive uh, these videos, you know? You've got a channel. No, there is a channel, but, not, but these videos aren't posted. <laughs> right. Well, this, I mean, the, uh, the Scholar for Congress channel is still there with those videos. No, there's a Mike Scholar. There's actually a Mike Scholar. I believe that I have a Mike Scholar YouTube account that I can just post videos to. Oh, there you go. There you go. I've just been procrastinating because there are so many videos. I'm like, oh, it's gonna take me forever. But all I gotta do is like one a day or something. Just, you know, yeah. there. <laughs> so there's an archive. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so yeah, thank you all for joining us. We want to get to this topic now about the migrant crisis. I know we've covered it a bit on this show before, but obviously the issue is not going away. The big news now is the mayor saying right off the bat, 5% of every city agency will have to be cut. And he's saying that can go up to 15% by next year if this is not handled. He's saying that the entire state has to bear the burden, not just New York City, federal government has to step up, you know, basically trying to take some of the pressure off the city. And he is getting a ton of pushback and it's really crazy. And I think we talked about how, when you have that rhetoric, that is very reactionary and comes off as bigoted and xenophobic. 
it really drives that further wedge in between us. It makes us more polarized than we already are to the point now where people who don't like hearing that, you know, the, the people fall into this trap. They don't like hearing that xenophobic talk and rightfully so. But I think that it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, then the solution is there is no solution because you want to do something. So we want to do nothing. Whereas it prevents us from having a productive conversation about what can be done here. And we should be having this conversation through the lens of compassion, by the way, and, you know, be, being kind. It shouldn't be a mean spirited conversation. But because I think so many people seem to lead with hate. It has really fostered this environment where nothing productive can happen because no one wants to be seen as being cooperative with those who lead with hate. Right. Um, uh, we've got a question in the chat. Who's pushing back? Okay. So I think that's good to clarify. Yeah. So I have seen a lot of pushback from people on the political left in the city who are saying that the mayor is echoing Republican talking points. Some even bring up the fact that he was once a Republican and they're basically saying he's a bigot. And if not a bigot directly, he's playing into those hands. And they're pointing out that Republicans are now going to put his speech because you know, he went to a town hall, I believe it was in the Upper West Side, where he said, the crisis can destroy New York City, right? So they're saying basically he created a talking point or a soundbite to be used by Republicans and people uh, opposing all Democrats. And to be sure, there are people who have an agenda and they always had an agenda, right? People who just want Republicans to win office in New York. And they're using this as a political football and say, see, you know, we were right all along. You, you got to get rid of these Democrats. And that's why there are people, you know, obviously fighting back to that because they have an agenda and they're not being intellectually honest. But there mm -hmm. are now those uh, on the left saying that, you know, the mayor should not uh, even acknowledge that this is a crisis, right? Because that plays into those conservative or, or those bigoted hands, you know? And I think that's a problem when, you know, the mayor, for example, went to a rally that was described as pro-immigrant, but really it was, you know, we're a country and a city of immigrants, let's be kind to immigrants, let's not be hateful towards immigrants. It was one of those events. And, you know, obviously a lot of clergy even involved, believe it or not, church groups and religious groups are on board with that. Let's be kind to refugees and to asylum seekers and to migrants and all immigrants, right? So there's one of those where you preach love. Then he goes and he also says, well, it's a crisis financially and a strain on our resources and something needs to be done about this. People are accusing him of being a hypocrite, talking up from both sides of his mouth, um, you know, um, trying to appease the bigots and also the, the Democrats, trying to be everything to everyone. Whereas why can't we do both? Why can't we acknowledge that we are a city of immigrants and we're going to be a kind, compassionate people while also recognizing the reality of resources being limited and something needing to be done? Because who the hell wants to see all of our agencies and all of our city services cut up to 15 percent? I mean, that's going to be a problem for everyone, right? And at the same time, who wants to see those those migrants that are looking for help sleeping on the streets of New York City because there's no place to, to house them? And not right. And the services for them that you might want to be in place not being available because the resources were strained too far. There are some saying, though, that this is all a boogeyman, that we don't need to cut city services, that the mayor is doing this as some way to appease Republicans, you know, Let's, let's just be honest. Let's, let's just be ha let's have an honest conversation and recognize that 
we need to be having difficult conversations and making difficult decisions. And that doesn't make us haters. We shouldn't yeah. hate. And there are people who are hating. And that's what makes it a little, like, a little murky. There certainly are people who, who do that. Right. But, right. you know, we should be able to have that conversation um, w- without being labeled a bigot or, or a xenophobe. Right. And, you know, I think on this issue, I, I don't agree with Adams on a lot of things, but I think on this issue, I mean, he's being a realist in, in this regard. There are there are limited resources and NYC can't can't shoulder that burden alone. It's just not it's just not possible. At, at some point, it just be, will become too much where the system will just break. And then that will not only affect the those those migrants coming through, but it will also affect the New Yorkers there. That's not a Republican or conservative um, or liberal ideology. That's just reality. You know, you right. can only get so much out of the resources that you have. So I um, I was looking to pull up some of the particular comments that were made. There's one here and I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but I did see. Have you ever seen? I guess it's basically meme at this point where this might be more of a New York thing. So I don't know if you, if you would have seen it, but they're saying that people are complaining that immigrants are going to destroy our way of life while living in places called, you know, Ronkonkoma and Patchogue and like all these towns and neighborhoods that are clearly Native American inspired, right? That the names come from Native American. Um, so so they're, they're calling out the hypocrisy in that. And it's, I mean, uh-huh. I was gonna say they could they could even tack on names like you know Little Italy, Little Italy, or you know right. names that were actually named for communities of immigrants that came from other countries, Chinatown. Like if you know, it's it's a it's kind of right. a xenophobic, and, and that's and, and that's a, a fair point I think to make generally speaking. But I think it might miss the point a little bit on this issue, especially as applied to people like the mayor, who I don't think are anti-immigrant i don't think they're being anti-immigrant by acknowledging that there's an issue right and i I agree i don't think i don't think it sounds like an the talking points that i've heard from him on this doesn't sound like anti-immigrant it's again being a realist and you know he's in the position of mayor of new york city it's not just mayor of you know the migrants coming in but he's also got to look out for the citizens that are there and there's going to have to be a balance here with not a lot of a lot of resources because some of those resources still have to go for people in the city so you know there's a lot of space in new york that's as a state that could could help shoulder shoulder some of this burden um but yeah it's it's rough so let's see if you're looking for a particular name jessica ramos who's a state senator her name is being floated as a potential challenger to the mayor in the Democratic primary and would be challenging him from the left. And she has certainly been echoing this language that he is playing into hate and xenophobia in his comments, especially the one where he said it would destroy New York City, right? People really jumped on that one to say, how dare you say immigrants are going to destroy New York City? Immigrants are what makes New York City. But he didn't like he didn't say immigrants are going to destroy New York City. It's more that this budget crisis is what's going to destroy New York City because we just don't have enough to fund for everything like i think it's such a hot button issue that people want to read into it what they want to 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 satisfy their talking point 
Here's a great absolutely, absolutely. Right. There, there's no nuance. They're trying to get the sound bite, even right. if it's being intellectually dishonest. Right. Here is um a great example of that. I was just scrolling through Jessica Robinson. Again, I don't want to pick on anyone, but I'm just calling You're picking. As I see it, I'm just talking about the issue here. So here's this, the share screen for those watching the live video. Now, Jessica Ramos here is quoting from a Donald Trump message. Saying, right. Prince pouring into our country or destroying our cities and states. This is an invasion, the likes of which we have never seen before. Death wish for America. Right. And her comment here is, well, it looks like Donald Trump is getting his talking points from New York City's mayor. But it's like, yeah. And and in one of the articles I just shared in the chat, um, that apparently some people are calling uh, Mayor Adams like Black Trump um, mm. because of these things. But he didn't say these. He didn't say what she's saying that he said. And it's very disingenuous to to push that. And it's it's, it's not a good way to, to have this discourse and to make anything kind of actually work. Because then the question that I would ask someone like like her would be like, well, what's your solution? What are you going to do if you've got, for example, to make a round number, if you've got $100,000 and you've got to spread it about amongst everybody and this significant portion of this other group is coming in, eating it up, everyone's losing out. What are you going to do? Not just the migrants, but the citizens. Everyone's going to lose out. What do you do? What they're proposing, as far as I've seen, what they're saying is we need to be doing all we can to ensure that they can get jobs. Sure. 100 percent i'm sure everyone agrees with that no but what was it 50 50 wasn't it right 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 yeah um i'm sure a lot of people agree with it but but still that doesn't change the fact that there's still a budget issue a, a, a money issue a resource issue a, a, a space issue like you can't just say let's get everybody jobs where are they going to stay what are they going to do in the meantime like there's got to be something else there than just that one blanket statement. We should get her on the show. Let's grill her. Who is that? Senator Jessica Ramos. You know, we haven't invited elected officials aside from district leaders and, and certain folks like that. But, you know, as far as like state senators and assembly members and people, we haven't done that. Maybe we should. I, I kind of wanted to wait for us to build up the show a little bit before we started getting them on here. But, you know, I've got no problem with starting to invite people in office to talk about that. Why not? Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious because, you know, um, and we've said it multiple times on this show, but in, even in conversations like you can't just be anti something. You have to have a, you have to have some sort of a plan. You got to have some sort of a solution, something. You can't just be anti what it is. Um so I'd like to know what, what they think it's going to happen when you're talking about a finite amount of money and resources. How do you how do you solve that? There was a rally earlier today at the same location. The Queensland rally was held City Hall Park, right in front of City Hall there in Lower Manhattan. Um, it's funny because I received this press release from Senator Sanders. He was joined by Senator Leroy Comrie, Assemblymember Rodney uh, Bichat uh, Hermelin. Uh, I think Jennifer Rajkumar, the Assemblywoman from Queens, showed up as well. So people showed up to push back against the pushback, right? They're saying this is a rally to call out the unfair attacks against the Mayor, Adam, Mayor Adams on the migrant crisis. 
Let's see, speakers included, uh, we've got Sanders, Kevin Parker, state senator, Eddie Gibbs, assembly member, Alicia Hyman, assembly member, David Weprin, assembly member, uh, Inez Dickens, Ashley Sharpton from the National Ashing Network, uh, and Reverend Patricia Malcolm, Bishop Chantal Wright. So there was a whole group of people saying that it wasn't fair that the mayor was being criticized as anti-migrant. Now, I saw on Twitter just now, as I was scrolling through to try to find some of that pushback that, you know, if someone asked, oh, who's pushing back? I was just doing a quick scroll through. It just caught my eye. On my timeline, someone described this as the We Love Mayor Adams rally. Now, that comes off a little condescending to me, a little dismissive. Right. Right? They're not right. saying we love the mayor. It's like, it's like it makes it sound like, like these are his boyfriends coming to defend him or his girlfriends. No, like people are just trying to say, you know, this is a nuanced issue. And right. Why does this have to be all or nothing? Why does it have to be you either hate all immigrants and you're a racist and a xenophobe, or there should be no limit and you should have a bunch of people in your living room, which is what people say. How many are you hosting in your living room? Like, Why right. is there no space to have a real honest adult conversation on this? Right. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I'd like to say it's just like, you know, uh, things are so polarized these days, but... You know what? I, I think that would be a. I think we'd always have this conversation. It just seems to be when things are so charged, mm. people move further away from that nuanced center and take up refuge in in their in their, their position, bubble. steadfast their position. Bubble. That's what it is. We you know it's we've got these bubbles now, and people are afraid to speak their mind, speak honestly about something in fear of offending the people in the bubble they want to be in, I guess. I mean, and I think it's very easy and it's a lazy thing to do, but it seems like anyone now who says that this is a problem is going to be a conservative in, in, in a lot of the pundits' eyes, and a lot of the, the onlookers, right? And a lot of people right. say this is a conservative. Anyone who says, you know, um, I don't know, um, you're a racist or or you're you're a bigot for saying that is going to be seen as a, a progressive anyone who's saying that there's a middle ground of saying that this is a problem but we should also be compassionate maybe they'll be looked at as as a moderate or something right like they, they, they want to put everyone into a neat little bucket and that prevents us from really getting anywhere in, in my opinion you know if, if everyone right. is always branded a certain way you're a red shirt you're a blue shirt or you're a purple shirt or something like that it's you know uh, how are we going to come to any kind of consensus or, or build coalitions? Like we saw at the Queens Link, right? People from all political stripes could get together on the issue of transit. I don't see that happening on this issue with things being so emotionally charged and divided. Right. Absolutely. So that should maybe that should be the poll question. All right, let's do it. So with all of this in mind, the poll question of the week is, is it possible to be pro-immigrant? while also acknowledging there is a problem posed by resources being strained. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good question. We'll, I'm looking forward to the responses that we're going to get uh, on that there. I'm curious what people in the chat think uh, in regards. Yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah. Is it all or nothing? Um, we have a comment in the chat saying, I think it's, and, and I don't know if this is particularly to that poll, but I think it's just in what we've been talking about in general, saying, I think it's crazy. If you don't agree with everything Republicans do, I'm labeled a liberal. And if don't agree with everything Democrats say, I'm labeled a conservative. Why can't I just be in the middle? Yeah, yeah. But also, I, I hear that. But even for me, 
I don't like necessarily being painted as a moderate because it, to me, I just look at an issue and I make a, uh, uh, an opinion on that issue. I take a stance on it based on what I think makes sense to me. I don't lead with what is the progressive or conservative or moderate thing to do on this. It's, you know, it's just, what do I think makes sense? What do I think, what do I, what do I think is right? Right. What is the most helpful solution? That's what I try to get to, but right. it seems like, People are quick to label me as moderate if I don't take a hundred percent progressive, hundred percent conservative stance on everything. And then once you have that label, you're looked at as someone who's in the middle on every issue. Like, and they say, "Oh, but you can't make up your mind." Like, you're you're just like half stepping on everything. But nah, first of all, you called me a moderate, and that doesn't mean I'm in the middle on every issue. It means maybe I'm not all the way on one side on every single issue. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. These word games get played, and oftentimes they're not really helpful. Right. Yeah. We do have one response to the poll already. It said, I say, yes, it's possible. I think it's possible. I think people just have to let go of this, this dogma that they're sticking to um, for their points, the bubbles that they're in, and just you know, realize there's there's gotta have some gonna have to have some discussion. There right. has to be some right. It's funny too, because everything is so relative, like. You know, I hang out with my friends in Howard Beach and I'll tease me, oh, you're the most liberal person ever. Ha, ha. But but I'm really the most liberal person I think many of them can stomach, right? Because they like me. They love me. <laughs> but if, if I was actually, you know, further down that road, if I was Jessica Ramos on this, then <laughs> I would be, I'd be deemed a crazy person they wouldn't associate with. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so hey. This is I'm looking forward to, to, to hearing responses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially after the the surprising response we got with the poll from last week. So, um, who knows where it can go go from here? Oh, we got a good. We got a we love we heart Mike in the chat. Oh, so check you out. Well, I heart you too. Whoever said that, I heart everyone. Yeah. Again, I get no love. What is this? I get no love. Yeah, who hearts Jay? <laughs> yeah, nobody hearts Jay. It's it's. Oh, oh Jay, gonna, that's sad. That's sad. I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> so, but I think I think um, we got a, we had a lot to, to to think about here, and this is this we've covered this migrant crisis uh, multiple times, but it's not going to go away, and it's something that's going to be uh, around for a while, and I think it's just going to keep ramping up because as as much as the migrants keep coming in and nothing gets done. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the mayor is going to keep raising his voice on it and there's going to be people who continue to push back. So let me ask you this. Do you think the mayor should tone down his own rhetoric? Do you think he is sounding like too much of an alarmist on this or is he at the appropriate level of heat? Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not looking at the numbers that he's looking at. I'm not looking at the, the right. budgets that he's right. looking at. So. It's hard to make that determination because, you know, what he's looking at could be could be crisis level. Um, and then you you look at what we can look at is saying that, you know, it's been over 100,000 that's come in in the past year. And for any city, that's a significant influx of people to come in to stay um, at, at a, such a short amount of time. And so you've just got to realize you've got to be able to imagine that that would be a strain on any city's resources, locations, uh, budget space, whatever it is. 
So, you know, he could be sounding an alarm a little bit too early, or he could be, you know, right on on point where it. Maybe there's a way to to have that discussion um, that's not so inflammatory. So, you know, because he's like he was trying to light a fire under folks. And but he maybe maybe the public. Right. Because what he was saying is that he needs city officials to cooperate with him, city council members and even people that that, that he appointed, people in charge of the different agencies and, and whatnot. He was saying the crisis is going to destroy New York City unless we act. And that's really the statement that a lot of people started to jump on. You know, how dare you say that immigrants are going to destroy New York City? And it really made it like this political football where, right. I don't know, it, it didn't seem like he was trying to scare the public as much as as kind of get, a wake up call. Yeah, like a wake up call for other city officials to work with him on this and not be blase, blase, blase fair. Like, you know, like, let's all put our hands together and get something done on this because it is a serious problem. Right. And so, I mean, I'm from what I've seen and I'm sure you guys you've seen more being there in in the in the city from what I've seen from the articles. You know, I I, I don't think he's he's that inflammatory on it. He's sounding a, a real a real alarm something that definitely needs to be handled before it gets way out of control. And I, and I would argue that it is out of control already. If we've got migrants that are coming there for a better life that are just sleeping on the street, I think you've already, it's, it's already been demonstrated that New York is beyond capacity because you can't even house the ones that are already there. And that means there's already a crisis, a problem. Right. That's a fair point. The other thing I wanted to mention on this is I saw I think I sent it to you. There was someone who made the comparison to when Italians and Irish came to New York and they were saying that what we're seeing now is basically the same thing. Another iteration of that. When anyone comes out, like, for example, when a mayor says that this crisis stands to destroy New York City, he's basically giving the modern version, the 2023 version of that hate that was directed at Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants and every kind of immigrant who came to this country. But I would say that was different because then it was hate. I don't think what the mayor is is talking about right now is hate from from the mayor's point. Now, of course, there are people who are using hateful rhetoric to talk right. about the migrants. But I think it, what it sounds like the mayor is talking about is more an actual reality issue and not saying the migrants are going to destroy it. But this influx, this this budget crisis, this space issue is going to be a, a tax the system, whereas those migrants in the in the early 1900s, there was hate, right? Remember that there was the signs about you know no dogs, no Irish, you know, right. talking about the Chinese. There was talking about Italians. Like there was there was hate then. Sure. About- but but so, you know to be fair, there is also hate now. And back then, I'm sure there were people trying to make arguments that didn't sound hateful, like right. we have space for them. Right, right, Not right. The resources for them. We don't hate Irish and Italians. We just can't have them all here because we, you know, we, we're too crowded with our own people. Right, and but you know, I think, like I said, to me, it sounds a little bit different from the mayor's point. Not everyone else's. There's definitely the hate out there from the people, but from the mayor's point, it doesn't sound like it's a hateful thing because it sounds like he's still willing to take people in, but he needs. He's saying we need help. Right, we, we can't just shoulder this burden alone. So, right, right. I think that's the difference. Yeah, I agree. They're not quite the same thing. And it is a little crazy just as a concept to think about to go on stage and say, we can't bear this burden ourselves. We need help. Right. That just, just to say that we need help. 
that seems to be enough to be branded as a racist and a bigot and a Republican right. and a, a MAGA Trumper. Somebody get uh, someone get Adams on the phone. We need to get him on the on the podcast here so we could talk to him. Let's 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 do it. Someone give him a call. So I think I think we've. Uh, yeah, like I said, I look forward Good. to the responses. Um, OK, and I do want to I do want to say um, you want to be careful with your um, with your new moniker. Make sure you're not uh, called stick man or else uh, dead prez might come after you. Um, so the man with the stick might be something you want to move towards. I said stick man. No, no, no. But I'm just saying you don't want to okay. be called stick man. Yeah. No, you said right. the man with the stick. Yeah. The man who carries a big stick. I mean, that's, you know, call back to Teddy Roosevelt. even. Right, right, right. What was it? Uh, talk softly and carry a big Very stick. Big stick. That's right. Um, yeah. Not the big stick. Yeah. So. No innuendo. I just, you know, okay. Yeah, yeah. You sure. might get in trouble. Yeah. All right. So with all that we've talked about today, Mike Scala, we're going to throw it to you. Why are you doing it to me? Oh my God. I, didn't I give you a great bottom line last time? I think you should give the bottom line this time. No, no, I'm, I'm, I've already called it out. You know, <laughs> it's like calling shotgun. <laughs> yeah, it's already called out. Mike Scala, what is the bottom line? Well, I think, all right, the bottom line is let's stand with each other as New Yorkers, as people who are fighting to make this city a better place. And that relates to the transit issue, that relates to the migrant issue, no matter what the issue is, there are people in the city who are trying to roll up their sleeves and get something done. We are not going to agree with them on everything. And that is a good thing. That's what makes our democracy so great on paper, right? But let's not let the, the bickering and the polarization stand in the way of that. Let's actually use this as a positive to put our heads together to come up with great solutions instead of always trying to demonize each other, which only drives us further apart and stands in the way of anything getting done. Excellent. That was very good. Very well said. And for people who want to follow up with us, uh, go to YouTube at Nuance Show, also Instagram, Nuance Show, subscribe, follow, do all those good things, comment, you know, maybe whether you agree with us or disagree with us, or maybe you have a point of view that we didn't even bring up. So uh, let's hear that as well. And if you're in the podcast, which you should be, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. You can do it. It's everywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, um, Amazon, do all of that stuff. And uh Check us out every week here at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, yes, what's the, what's the phrase? What's the phrase? Heart, yeah, listen, if you heart Jay, then let us know that as well. Uh, whatever is on your mind uh, is the phrase, let's get free. No, the phrase is, we've got work to do, and we'll catch you next time. Yes.